Hey everybody, welcome back to the Star Wars Historians Podcast. It's, yep, it's me, it's David, um, completely normal, have been here for the past forever number of weeks, and I'm joined by my compatriot uh, Luke Michaels, as always, and um, you know, he's he had a he had a rough go of it last week, so we, we let Brady fill in for him, but uh, you know, he's, he's, we'll keep him around a little bit longer. Hi everyone, I'm Luke Michaels. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a yeah, perfect, perfect <laughs> impression. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, this uh, Luke, welcome back. It's good to have you back. I mean, as much as I love Brady and talking Star Wars with him, there's there's no one like you uh, in terms of being able to swap Star Wars thoughts and, and things of that nature. So I'm, I'm glad you're back, especially because this is our last review of the Mandalorian series for 2020, for season two. And boy, what a final two episodes that we just experienced. These were really, like, packed. They were, like, really dense with a lot of stuff to talk about. And, and yeah, I feel like sure. we should just get this uh, out there to, like, start off with because, like, these are the last two episodes of the season, is that if you don't want spoilers, why, why, are, you, why are you listening to us? Just, just, <laughs> this is the biggest spoiler alert going on right now because these last two episodes, we're probably not even going to really talk about them in perfect order. Like, we'll probably keep going back and forth as we remember things, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And let's just dive straight into it. So let's go into chapter 15, which was titled The Believer, which when I saw that, I was like, okay where where are they going with this what's the idea behind um this idea of the believer what was very interesting and i mean they they showed it to us at the end of chapter 14 with cara dune of who mando was going to go after first in terms of trying to you know get the child grogu back into his possession and uh it was mayfield played by bill burr which he did a he did a good job in the and in, in the last episode. So that was about chapter six of season one. Um he did a really good job as Mayfield or Mayfield. And this episode, boy was he good. Like, like we spot get spot on. Like in season one we get a picture of kind of like he's he's really good at what he does. And he's kinda of like this like cynical, kind of like jokes jokester like ex-imperial dude but uh this this one we get to see a lot of development from him and like it's really interesting because this one i mean this one has a lot of action in it but it also has a lot of story and like dialogue but the dialogue is done well um yes and and i think what, I, what i've said before about um the past few episodes and what I'm going to say again now is that like the last few episodes of this season, like all the episodes are great, but the last few episodes of this season, like the dialogue is, is perfect. Like for each like moment. And it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with this episode, just getting into the different ideologies of specific groups. So, I mean, Mayfeld, he's an ex-Imperial sharpshooter, which they made fun of in, in, in season one. Um, 
when he says he's an ex-imperial sharpshooter and mando says that's not saying much <laughs> and uh, but mayfeld man we we saw it in that episode he was he was fantastic on the gun and and just really good at what he does like you said but he starts talking about what people view of empire republic coming in on their territory thinking that they're freeing these people but these people really want life as they've known it for a long time and so you have to really start thinking about no matter which side you're on there's good and bad that comes with both sides and even even starting to challenge uh mando on the mandalorian code and the things that he believes of saying we're not so different you and i in terms of that kind of idea what do you think about that uh yeah i think that i don't know i'm not sure if din was really touched by what mayfeld was actually saying or not i he think was not he was i think not. the only reason why like it it kind of looks like that is because he is so concerned for the child and he's willing to do mm-hmm. whatever he has to for that. Yes. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. It's like Mayfeld was trying to, is trying to get Din to actually see, Hey, we're not, we're not so different because we do these things and we break these rules for what we think is right. But what, but what, what Din Jarn is saying is, is no, that's, that's not true because while I may not necessarily change the rules, but why I may go and try and find a loophole, it's literally for not myself. There's nothing that I'm going to gain from this. It's the, it's the fact that I'm doing this for Grogu. Yeah, and I think instead what we see is rather than Mayfeld convincing Den, like Den kind of changes Mayfeld's mind. By like showing this like huge scene of like kind of sacrifice by taking off his helmet in front of all these people, um, and then Mayfeld is willing to go out and be like risk being identified by this guy, and not only that, but like he, uh, kind of you know at, at the beginning of this episode or no actually that's not true at the beginning of the last episode of the season. We see like Imperials who who consider the Republic, the New Republic, to be like terrorists because they blew up the Death Star, which is ridiculous mm-hmm. considering what the Death Star is. But yes, um, but it's like so. There's this element in Disney Star Wars, and we first saw it in the Last Jedi, where it's like, hey, remember, like both sides are human, and, and I think it's like there's this recognition that that is true because like whenever. Mayfeld and Den like finish like they complete the mission um like you see the imperial people who like despite all being like on the evil side they're like cheering for them just as much as like the rebels were cheering for Luke in A New Hope Um, yes and so it's like now there's this recognition that um like both sides are are human both sides have like these these good traits about them but like Mayfeld kind of makes this uh, kind of statement, I think, at the end where he's like, just because they're both, like, human doesn't mean they're both equal. So Mayfeld, Mm -hmm. like, isn't this... At the end, he's not this jaded guy who just says, oh, it doesn't matter if it's the Empire or if it's the Republic. No, he he knows that 
the Empire has done these atrocities like Operation Cinder, which was, I thought was a great callback to yes. the Battlefront 2 uh-huh. story. Absolutely, um, yeah. And so, um, as a result, he kills the officer and then <laughs> afterwards blows up the entire facility and uh, all in the name of keeping another Operation Cinder from happening again. Um, mm-hmm. And saying that the Empire actually is wrong, that they're not... That we're not so mixed up between what right and wrong is that we're not able to discern. Yes, and this is not, I don't think, it, an exact quote from Mayfield, but when he blows up the the facility, he says something along the lines of... We all have to sleep at night. Yes. Um, and to me, that was such a... To me, a character development for Mayfield himself because... While, yes, he was an ex-Imperial trooper, which then you have this distinction between Cara Dune and Mayfeld because she was a dropper for the Rebellion. He was an ex-Imperial sharpshooter. Both did things that they're not necessarily proud of and that they have to kind of wrestle with uh, mentally. And Mayfeld is able to find at least a little bit of peace with himself of, yes, I did these things, but I've done something to account for them. Uh, and to make things right, um, which again, it's the first line of Force Awakens we ever hear. You know, this will begin to make things right. And man, this was just, I mean, there's not a, a lot to say about chapter 15 other than a couple of, couple of little things because we've kind of talked about the bulk of it already. Just the fact of this is kind of going back and forth between ideologies and how we view these kinds of um these factions because what i'm going to say to kind of add to what you were saying and talking about you know the soldiers cheering for mando and mayfeld as they you know were able to escape the pirates who were attacking the rhydonium shipments which is a throwback to rebels a little bit um uh, sabine wren mentions a rhydonium and actually how um shoot why is his name slipping me right now kanan when kanan dies he dies on top of a rhydonium like fuel cell that's blown up but when they escape it and they're all cheering it kind of sets me the ideas of because someone mentioned this in a uh, online article talking about Okay, did the rebellion kill millions of people when they blew up the Death Stars? Because not just talking about the soldiers, but also the people who were con- like building and constructing the facilities and stuff like that. Um, and the conclusion was basically this. Yes, they did kill them all, but everyone knew what they signed up for. Everyone knew who they were working for. And right and so you made your choice, unfortunately. Um, but it, there's something to be said of some people signed up thinking one thing. But the leaders who have the real power, they have agendas of their own. Which for regular soldiers, such as Mayfeld, they saw the consequences of those actions. And that's what they wrestle with. And so this was just an episode that, man, really tackled the psyche of 
someone who is a soldier within the Imperial Remnant or just of the Empire. And I think this was super fun, for sure. Yeah, I thought this episode was really, like, well done. Uh, Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, obviously, I think I've said that for every single one, except for Uh, the ones that (laughs) I didn't didn't review last week, which I thought were still good, still really good. Um, Yes. uh, Can I share a few different things that I noticed from this episode? Yeah, Yeah, go, go for it. So... I think, oh, so this is the first time that we see repainted Boba Fett armor. Mm. Isn't it so good? It looks so good. I really like it. I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Boba makes the the statement that, uh, let's just say they might recognize my face. And, uh, yes. Which is He has a lot of good one-liners. He does. That's, that's, what I, and, that's part of what I mean by the dialogue is, is perfect. And I think yes. part of it, half of it is like Tamara Morrison's Boba Fett voice just like is perfect and um, just kind of like even if you gave him something ridiculous to say he could probably make it sound really cool uh, but uh, we get to see Mando get some melee practice um, foreshadowing what he's going to do with his spear later on mm-hmm. um, yeah <laughs> so I, I noticed that uh, the Rhydonian shipment as they're headed into the uh, facility is a lot like the Death Star run from A New Hope. Like, uh, not just with mm. the cheering, but also, like, as they get in. Um, yes. And it's like the uh, the TIE fighters come in, like Han comes in and shoots mm-hmm. off the TIEs. However, I did write down, those TIEs are idiots because they shot in front of the Rhydonian shipment. <laughs> like, remember, there's this big think- blast of, like, dirt and stuff because they shot right in front of it. <laughs> Well, remember, TIE Fighters can't really hit what they're aiming for. So they were probably aiming for the shipment and missed. <laughs> it's like, like that uh, was their it's goal. It's like what Boba Fett said. Uh, it's like, oh, I was aiming for the other one. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, like we mentioned before, there's a reference to Operation Cinder, which is uh, important in the Battlefront 2, not the 2005 one, but the more recent one, uh, that campaign. I'm really, I'm really just waiting for you to say one. Uh, I think you know, I'm about to say it. Um, at the end of this episode, at the end of chapter 15, we are met again with the Wub Wub bombs. Um, the, the beautiful slave one. Yes. Uh, just, I don't even know what they're actually called, but. Uh, I mean, I I think they're just called seismic charges. Oh yeah, yeah, honestly. you're right. That's what they are. Seismic yeah. charges. They're the which they're the time they're the time bombs from Battlefront. Yes, but I think. I think that it is the best soundbite of Star Wars, hands down. If you had to have one soundbite to explain what Star Wars was, yes, yes, it it, it was, ugh, it was so good. I can't even. And then, of course, the episode ends with this really climactic scene mm, of uh, yes, Din Djarin calling up Gideon and using his own words against him. And uh, I have to say, it really pulled on my heart whenever uh, Dan said, he means more to me than you will ever know. And yeah. Because, <laughs> because it's true. Like, Moff Gideon said to Mando in Chapter 7, you have, you have no idea what you possess. But now Din gets to say his words back to him and says, you have no idea what you possess. And 
the fact that Moff Gideon referred to the child as an it instead of an actual human, not a human being, what am I saying? But an actual living, living life form that he, he is able to say, you have no idea what you're in possession of. And he means more to me than you'll ever know. And everyone sees it. Everyone sees the bond between Grogu and Mando. Like, it's evident. It, you, right. you can see it. I mean, and it's enough to get people to, like, to help him out and to, like, break. Like, Cara Dune has to follow mm-hmm. these rules now, but because of Grogu and Mando, she is willing to She's bend willing him. to bend him. Yeah. Which, I, we'll, we'll see. We, see. we saw it in chapter 14 at the end that you know when people aren't necessarily into the idea but then mando says they took the kid automatically everyone's just like all right we're we're all in at this point like we're in and i think that's good for chapter 15 there's some other remarks yes. that i have to say about it but we can probably save those for whenever we talk about this new crop of shows that was that was just yes. released during yes. the last two weeks um for sure yeah, so let's go ahead. Let's dive into chapter 16, which starts um, <laughs> pretty pretty aggressively, I would say. They're, they're after an Imperial shuttle. Um, and the pilot, the main pilot, man, he's a jerk. Like I, like, I wanted him to die immediately because, I mean, you have the doctor who honestly is the – he. I felt bad for him, you know, just – being stuck in the middle of all of this like he's doing his own research but he doesn't necessarily care about the child but he doesn't want to hurt the child because he's he's a doctor he he cares um and you have a really good initial scene between Kara dune and this pilot that you know kills his co-pilot because the co-pilot says hey we can work this out like hey don't worry about it kills him threatens to shoot the doctor and is just talking about alderaan and the death star and basically what we just talked about in terms of killing millions of lives you know the rebellion was in in their minds in their twisted minds view the rebellion as a terrorist group what what were your thoughts about this initial scene um, yeah, I really disliked that guy too. Um, and really there's just, there's just no way for him to make it out unless he had surrendered. So he, he was always going, it was always going to end poorly for him. I was actually more mad that he killed the other guy who was like, Hey, I just, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm not with him. Just <laughs> like the other guy surrendered. And then this guy was, who's just so brainwashed with Imperial kind of propaganda, um, yeah, I mean, that is what had to be, yeah. I guess. Yes, and so then we, the next scene, I, I'm sorry if we're going to, it kind of looks like we're going scene to scene. It's just this episode, for me, is probably my favorite episode of entire of the entire Mandalorian yeah. series. It's really, I, it's really dense. There's <sighs> a lot of stuff to unpack. Yes. Uh, and so we go to probably one of my favorite scenes that is not the ending because the ending was amazing but you have the interaction between boba mando uh and the other mandalorians uh we 
Bo-Katan, who I previously said that I really, really enjoyed her attitude. And this one, this one, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan. I'm, I'm a fan of the actress who plays her. Right. Like, she she's, does, the actress does fantastic. a great job. I just despise Bo-Katan. Yeah. Just the character. Uh, because, I, and I don't know how I became such a Boba Fett fan. Like, I wasn't really a Boba Fett fan. It was just an overnight thing. Just seeing uh, Morrison come in, hear the voice once again, the new paint. I don't know what it is, but Boba, here's what I'm going to say, and I don't care what. Honestly, on this matter, I don't care what Dave Filoni or George Lucas have to say. Boba Fett is more of a Mandalorian than Bo-Katan is, and I think that that was revealed this season because like where Bo-Katan like breaks or bends uh, like negotiations with her first episode of the season like Boba Fett goes be uh, like like above to, and beyond his... above and beyond what is required of him like he could have yes. left Mando on the planet but instead he says that he's going to help him get his get Grogu back and again I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I think you you can hold that and I'm not even gonna try I'm not even gonna disagree with you on that because there are times where yes that's absolutely correct like Boba seems more like a Mandalorian than Bo-Katan I I think what I really enjoyed was when when Boba says we don't need these two and then Bo-Katan says you're not a real Mandalorian or something along those lines. And Boba just says, never said I was. Yeah, yeah, he never claimed he was. Yeah, I really like that too. Um, because he's not, that's not his, he doesn't choose for his identity to be anything like anybody else. And that's what he got from Django, I think, is the idea of you're your own man. He, he's a simple man making his way in the universe. That's, that, uh, <laughs> so good. But that's the idea of, Boba Fett and he doesn't have to justify himself to anybody and so him and Costco Reeves who is fantastic like Sasha Banks I mean that's her wrestler name yeah, her, her real but, name is Mercedes dude, but that was so like yeah the whole fighting sequence that whole fighting sequence was awesome she um yes. for those who are unaware with wrestling there's this move um called a tornado DDT that uh she does on Boba Fett. It's the one that she uses her jetpack for a little bit. Um yes. it's beautiful. Um mm, but really sweet. Yes, but this was an important scene because it highlights Bo Katan's her kind of desire, her need to go up against Moff Gideon. And to reclaim what is what was once hers. Why? Mm. The way that they revealed that was was beautifully done. So let's just okay. So every everyone's like okay on board. This is a plan. Bo-Katan says we will help you, but in exchange we need the ship and we need you on board to reclaim Mandalore. Um, so that happens. They all agree. Doctor Pershing is kind of walking them through the 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 plans and 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 what the, the schematics of the ship and how they can accomplish each of these things how can they get past the dark troopers um and boom they go for it so basically they 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 are going to pretend like they're imperial and they're being chased by boba and slave one they're going to emergency land on the ship and then just go to town 
on everybody. I'm I'm a little I'm a little sad that we didn't get to see Boba on the ship, but it made like it a made little bit. sense why because he's mm-hmm. he's the getaway car. So yes, nobody else sure. gonna fly slave one except for him. But absolutely, and it here here's what I'm gonna say, man. Props to Dave Filoni and John Favreau for having this like this moment where the ones who are going to town and like killing everyone and are looking like badasses is our women. Yeah. But it doesn't, like, it's not like, all, it's not like forced or anything. It's just like, but you, we've already seen individually them kick all the butt. Speaking of which, what happened to the guy Mandalorian? He's just not here. Yeah. He, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where he went. I don't, again, Maybe he, was off, maybe he was off. Maybe he was Mandalorian. Maybe he was off doing other things for uh, Bo-Katan. Yeah, I'm. I probably maybe he's the one who's assembling other Mandalorians to her cause. Maybe that that's probably the justification for that. In any in any case, like we have already seen, like all these women like do really good, and it's actually mm-hmm. important that you brought that up, David, because that was something I didn't even like. I didn't even conceptually notice that, like, hey, these are all women. But it's like, because it it wasn't a problem. Like, it wasn't... Mm-hmm. No, no. Yes. No, it's not necessarily a problem. But it, it it's something that's like, for for young girls who are watching Star Wars and seeing, like, the Luke Skywalkers, the Han Solos. I mean, you have Princess Leia, who is fantastic, even in the sequel trilogy. Um, but just to have women on screen being the like being the hero yeah give them give give women the chance to be bad a for a moment and they did and yes. they rocked it yes for sure absolutely and so this was a fun this was a i think for me just a really fun way to kind of bring bring this to life and and just telling little girls like hey you guys can be heroes too, and in, in a big way, the way that men can be. And I especially, and so I I especially liked how great. like um, Fennec Shand and Cara Dune worked together. <sighs> can I can I say this too? I think Fennec is my favorite, my favorite character that has been developed more this season. I just really, man, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of her. Well, and I really <sighs> so like. Good. Um, obviously we'll get more into this because of the end credit scene, but I really mm-hmm. like how Fennec Shand and Boba Fett are paired up and it, cause it reminds me of like episode two, um, Jango Fett and Zam Wessel, which if you're, mm-hmm. if you've only ever really seen the movies, you probably don't even realize who Zam Wessel is. Zam Wessel is the, the changeling bounty hunter that tries to kill Padme at the, mm-hmm. near the beginning of the episode. Um, but yes. her and Django were like these this boba this bounty hunter duo rather not a boba fett duo that doesn't make sense um, but they were a bounty they were partners and so um, we see I think a similar kind of relation between boba fett and Fennec who are both just like these really kick butt uh, fighters and like they've paired up and are working together yeah I think there's there is a difference though because. While I, I felt like Django was, like, training Zam. And here, I feel like they're not on the same level. But they're both masters at their craft. Like, because Finnick was a, like, a high target for the guild. Like, she's, she's assassinated successfully so many people. So she was already at a level. 
we know Boba's at a level. And while Finnick is in kind of indebted to Boba, they're partners in a way. And I, I enjoy, like, like you said, I enjoy the pairing of the two, um, which in credit scene we'll talk about here in a second. So we see um, everybody get to the bridge and they've just been like laying waste to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. But they get to the bridge and Moff Gideon isn't there. And so uh, we cut to kind of like the other side of the story at this time, which is Mando uh, kind of trying to get rid of the Death Troopers. He, he fights off one of them and manages to uh, skewer him with his spear. And what I just have to say, I had to watch that scene like I had to go back and watch that scene like three times because he pulls out that spear like so smoothly and it's just like so mm-hmm. satisfying to watch him yes. just like get it from his back into the, the robot's head. Um, yeah. But so uh, he gets rid of the death troopers or so we're led to believe and then makes it to the prison cell where Grogu is being kept and there is Moff Gideon holding a dark saber up to Grogu's head. And... Uh, He's uh, there's a little tense moment of negotiation and Mando's like, really, I don't I don't want I don't care about you at all. I just want the kid. And so uh, Moff Gideon uh, is like, OK, well, you, you can have the kid. Just just leave afterwards. And as he reaches down to get um, the kid, Moff Gideon slashes with the Darksaber. But Mando, having the coolest armor in the freaking world. Uh, is able to block it. Um, and there's this really good fight scene between him and Moff Gideon where Mando's using his spear and his armor against the Darksaber. And it was really cool, actually, because um, I really like to see how, like, the Darksaber kind of, like, stress test the um, the Beskar spear. Yes, it tested the Beskar. Because it yeah. was, like, starting to, like, heat up and get. it was a little bit scary. It's like, oh, no, is it going to cut through or not? Um but eventually Mando beats Moff Gideon uh, and like picks up the Darksaber so that Moff won't use it anymore and then takes the kid and they both go to the bridge. Yes. So then we see the idea of the Darksaber and how how does one wield it. It's not just like any ordinary lightsaber. It has rules behind the weapon. So... In a very cool and awesome way, Ma, uh, we we see Bo-Katan and, and, and all the women on the bridge. Doors open. Mando's carrying Grogu in one arm. Uh, Moff Gideon is walking in. And in Mando's other hand has the Darksaber. In a very, <laughs> very cool moment. Uh, to Bo-Katan's dismay. Why? Moff Gideon explains that the only way that someone can wield the Darksaber is if they win it in battle. To where Mando is just like, I don't want it. I yield. Whatever. Take it. And Bo-Katan doesn't and can't. And this is actually a really interesting comparison because, like... I, and I'm just thinking about this now, so I'm sorry that I'm kind of interrupting the flow a little bit. But No, go uh, for it. In the past, like the sect of Mandalorians that Den Jarn was a part of was viewed to be like, oh, they're the ones that are a cult. They're the ones that are like all mystical and stuff. 
and yet it's mm-hmm. this time that like Din doesn't want anything to do like with the tradition surrounding the dark saber. But mm-hmm. now uh, Bo-Katan is more superstitious because she won't yes. take the saber from him. Can I say something that it could probably be explained? But when Sabine Wren had the dark saber, she just gave it to Bo-Katan. And Bo-Katan had no problem with with accepting it before. Um, I may have to go back and look at it because maybe like Bo-Katan actually disarmed someone or won it. But Sabine was able to get her hands on it in some way somehow. And so she was just giving it back to her. Maybe that was it. Um, and I probably shouldn't doubt because Dave Filoni worked on Rebels, is doing The Mandalorian. So maybe he can explain it somehow. And maybe I just... I'm missing something, but, it's, but that just came initially to my head. My my first. first guess would be that it could be like a tradition that surrounded the Darksaber maybe a little bit like after that. Because remember, this is at the end of Return of the Jedi, whereas Rebels is like right before all that is getting started. So there's a bit of a time jump there. So it's possible that she has already yes. tried to use the Darksaber to garner Mandalorian support. But then they they asked her, it's like, okay, well, how did you get it? Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's something that we're missing. So that's a good point. But anyway, so they're dealing with all that. So the concept is really cool for season three. Mando is the apparent leader of the mandalorians he's the one who can unite everyone together yeah then then john bo-katan then i'm i'm really hoping this is the direction that they go yes because Mm -hmm. i cannot think of a better person to be mandalore uh the leaders of Mm. the leader of the mandalorians mandalore than din jarn din jarn is like the most deserving person to be a mandalore i think Mm -hmm. yes because he's different than most mandalorians which is what they need in a leader. You have, I mean, you look at the history of, you know, Mandalore the Great um, and, and, and different Mand- Mandalores in the past. You also have, you know, Candorous Ordo as well. He was also another good one because he worked with Revan and was able to learn things from him, which is great. But Din Djarin is set apart from everyone else and and probably the best of ways um to where he does things he does some things according to tradition but he's also not afraid to say we weren't right then and it's not right now and so we need to change how things are yeah i think he's better than than both sisters as it were i think it's good that he's a warrior and not like an extreme pacifist like satina's because that's mm-hmm. not what Mandalorians are. Mandalorians aren't right. pacifists. They're they have a tradition of and a history of being warriors. And if you don't honor that, mm-hmm. you're going to get groups like Death Watch come up and try to yes. return order. Uh, mm-hmm. But then, like you have uh, Bo-Katan on the other side, who I think is too far, is too militant, too caught up in everything in order to be a good leader. Um, mm-hmm. But Mando, I think, is is he's very much a warrior, and yet he mm-hmm. knows what it is to be merciful and things like that. Yes, for sure. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Um, probably the best 
15 minutes in the Mandalorian, uh, a friend of, of mine and a friend of Luke's too, our friend Andrew Whalen said on Facebook that this was the probably the greatest Star Wars ever. Um, which I wouldn't go that far, but it is fair to say because it was really, really good. So while all this is going on, they look at, you know, the scans from outside of the cruiser and the dark troopers are coming back in. They're heading their way back up to the bridge. They lock, um, uh, they, they put the, the shield doors back up, um, and they start pounding away at this door. Moff Gideon says, you guys are screwed. You guys are done. To where we see an X-Wing fly in. <laughs> and even and, like, it's funny because Kira Dude is just like, oh, one X-Wing. <laughs> well, I thought it was going to be Trapper Wolf. I thought Dave Filoni was going to come back with like a squadron or something like that. and Or, or something like the New Republic was coming to save him. But when she said one X-Wing, I was like, no. No, they can't. <laughs> then they show you see a shadowy figure in dark robe. See a shadowy fig in a dark robe walking up the corridor. And for and for the most, like the first like few minutes that we see of him, he he begins fighting these dark troopers because like as soon as he lands, all the dark troopers stop trying to get to the bridge and turn around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like everybody's like, what's what's happening? Um, and so like on the camera feed, we see this dark robed figure and we see he has a lightsaber, but we're not able to tell what color it is because it's like black mm-hmm. and white. Um, yeah. but then it finally, it's like they do a really good job of revealing it bit by bit by bit because like we, you already have an inkling of who it is whenever an X-wing comes and lands and it's a guy with a lightsaber. But then like, in one of the next scenes you see it and you see it's a green lightsaber. And then um, whenever he finally gets to the bridge, you're able to clearly see that the hilt is Luke's hilt. And then he takes the hood off. Yes. And uh-huh. it's Luke. And It's Luke Skywalker. Somebody just had to flex their really stupid engine next to it's my It's okay. Window, so. I, can edit, I can edit that out because I think when I said it's Luke... I mean, it's my audio, so we can just mm-hmm. cut it from there and keep going. But, but it's Luke it's, Skywalker. It's, it's Luke, and it looks good. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. I'm so surprised by the quality work that they did that I thought... Mm-hmm. I thought originally what they had done was, like, um, take, like, a body double, like... Yeah. Um, like, Sebastian Stan, or, like, somebody maybe who's lesser known than Sebastian Stan, and then they, like... Mm-hmm. deep faked uh mark hamill's younger face onto him yes but apparently mm-hmm. that's not what happened like it was mark hamill himself who actually was like doing the voice and doing everything um and it was just completely digital but yeah can i say this though because it needs to be said i've seen a, a, a couple of people on twitter which i mean there's going to be a, a few people who said why did they do this? Why didn't they just get Sebastian Stan? And and here's why they couldn't do Sebastian Stan. The moment that Sebastian Stan comes on set, there's going to be rumors. There's going to be a leak. Why? Well, Mark Hamill is always doing stuff for Star Wars all the time. So the fact that you would see him, yes, he has. He absolutely has. And so Mark Hamill being there wasn't going to be a surprise. 
I mean, you knew that he was he would probably be there. Now, Sebastian Stan, will they probably bring him back for something else? Maybe, hopefully, I don't know, possibly. But he didn't need to come for this. He he really didn't. It's because, yes, absolutely. And I was thinking, I was just like, I didn't need Sebastian Stan. I, because I didn't need to know. Because then the ending would have, because here's the thing, I was shaking. When I saw when I when I saw the 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 green and then when I saw the hilt, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" There was a good there's like you said, there's some things in Star Wars that's like poetry. One well, Rogue One, when you see Vader turn on his lightsaber, um, and he's just standing there with the red. They did the same thing when he walked through the doors uh, and had his lightsaber out. Uh, he looks so good, and oh man, it was. It was amazing, in, and so we see the of, final. But instead of Darth Vader slaughtering like a bunch of weak uh, rebel troops, it's Luke mm-hmm. like just absolutely demolishing these like really strong evil uh, droids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure, it's awesome. And... I love everything. Uh, the, I think yeah. probably the one that was most um, the the way that he destroyed one of the droids that was most powerful for me was whenever he like literally like picked it up and like crushed it using the force. crushed it force crush yeah it's so good but the good scene doesn't stop there because even just the conversation that luke and mando and grogu kind of have together he says he doesn't want to go without your permission and you have this really emotional moment between din Djarin and grogu to where the loophole for him taking off his helmet is that he cares so much about Grogu. He's like, I want you to know what I look like before you leave. And boy, howdy, those tears from Pedro Pascal. Ugh, so good. And you have, you know, the, he, he takes him, Luke takes Grogu, and, you know, the elevator doors close, and that's the end of season three such a great end to or, end of season three season two sorry <laughs> we're not there yet um, yeah. yeah we're not there yet and then in crediting mm. which has boba fett return to tatooine uh you have bibs fortuna, Bib fortuna uh, yeah. so we're back at java's palace that's the that's the yes. opening scene yes um, to see the twin sons whenever I, whenever i saw the outside of the palace i was like wait why are we why are we here? And then, and then, like we go further <laughs> inside, and we see Bib Fortuna sitting where Jabba the Hutt was. If you don't remember who Bib Fortuna was, it's the the kind of lighter skin Twi'lek um, with the head tails that you see at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. um, talking with Luke. Yeah, he's the one that gets force tricked by Jedi because he has a weak mind. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's now he's now gained a lot of weight, and he's the the new Jabba. And uh, mm-hmm. and then suddenly people start dying. <laughs> yes, uh, they start dying, and be, and we see that Finnick is is back. And I already knew what was going to happen because I'm like, if Finnick's there, Boba's there. So we we eventually see. Well, first we see Finnick. She shoots everybody down. To where Bib is the only one left with the slave girl. And you think, oh, because she, she aims her gun at the slave. And you're like, oh, no, she's going to kill the slave. But no, she she shoots off, like, the, the bondage that she's in, the chains that she's in, in order for her to escape. 
Boba then comes in. Bib is like, oh my gosh, like I we didn't know that you were still alive. And I I feel like everyone was just like, neither did we, honestly. Like no one knew. And he's trying to welcome him back, all this stuff. Boba just shoots him dead and then takes the spot. And he sits on the seat. Um, then we see Book of Boba Fett. Coming December 2021. Yep. And, and I don't know if you've gotten a chance to look on Instagram yet, but I sent you a post from, I believe, the official Mandalorian uh, page that does clarify that the Book of Boba Fett is going to be another new show. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah. And I, I didn't even I didn't I didn't ever think that the Mandalorian wasn't going to have a season three just because I had already heard that as soon as they finished filming season two and it was in like post-production that they had already renewed it for a third season. Um, but just the fact that we're getting two Mandalorian shows in a way. And, and other is, spinoffs is so from good. this series. Mm-hmm. Like Rangers yeah. and the New Republic. Yes. Um, but Luke, just tell me some some closing thoughts about the Mandalorian season two. What what do you think? It's so good. Like legitimately, uh, there was not a single episode that I thought was slow or badly paced or misplaced in the season. Um, I I legitimately adored this season. Um, I think that they like season one is fantastic because it starts you with this premise and it, it it gives you these characters to work with and then season two like takes that and perfects it now there are a lot of references to other materials in star wars that if you're kind of a more casual fan um mm-hmm. this season might not mean as much to you uh but there i think there's still enough elements in this season where even as a casual fan you can really enjoy it and maybe even consider it to be as good or better than season one, um, especially considering uh, all the tie-ins to the uh, movies. Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. Season two of The Mandalorian, it touched so many other worlds, I think, of, of Star Wars. It touched so many different characters of of people that we've already seen and bringing them together in this story and showing that there's never ever just one story going on in Star Wars. There's little pieces that are happening here and there and eventually they could they possibly could come together um, for a moment. Think about Ahsoka when she came in. She is off doing her own thing. She has her own story and mission that we're going to see down the road. Um, but for one episode, her path and Din Djarin's path comes together, um, which you'd love to see every now and then. Luke has his own story going on. He is trying to rebuild the Jedi Order. He's trying to find students. And for one episode, he comes in and their paths cross. Um, and so seeing that's what this season did more than season one. And that was a exciting for sure so i'm excited for season three and all the other shows that are going to be coming for that um 
Luke, let's talk about that real quick before we sign off, before we say goodbye. Um, you have all these different kinds of shows that have been announced. Uh, you have Ahsoka Tano. You have Rangers of the New Republic. You have Lando. You have Rogue Squadron, which is a film, <laughs> which is going to be pretty cool. Um, you have, obviously, Obi-Wan Kenobi with the return of Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader. Um, There's so much good going on. And, yes. And if you're... I think that this was... I, I'm going to reiterate something I said before. I think we're entering into a golden age of Star Wars, where even though there were a lot of actors who were um, from the sequel trilogy who were really jaded with Star Wars... Um, and a lot of fans who are jaded with Disney Star Wars. I think Mandalorian 2 and the looking forward to all of these shows um, has really kind of awakened hope and kind of good Star Wars uh, material, which I still think sequel mm -hmm. trilogy is good. It's just, yes. we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> further on some other episode. But there are so yes. many good things coming that I, I keep changing what I'm most, well, that's not true. I'm most anticipating the Kenobi series, but I keep changing right. which yes. one I think is going to be number two of like the ones that I want mm -hmm. to see the best. Because yeah. Lando, the Lando series, Donald Glover, I'm assuming that they're bringing Donald Glover back. I don't know why they wouldn't. Um, mm -hmm. But Donald Glover is just a brilliant Lando, and I wanted to see more of him after Solo. And so yes. if, to explore that more will be great. Um Bad Batch series is going to be excellent. Mm -hmm. um, it's like mm -hmm. another sort of season. Not even like a... Okay. Yes. I'm going to say this for Bad Batch, but also the Andor series. When they were kind of rumored and kind of announced, I wasn't... I wasn't into it. Like I was just like, I don't know if I if I really want this. But after seeing the trailers and especially after the first look of Andor and seeing Diego Luna talk about it, I'm like, no, I'm excited for this. Like I'm I'm so much in support of what is going on. Um Oh, it's gonna be oh, it's it's gonna be so good. Like and and talking about Lando, here's what I've kind of heard. Um, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, Lando is an event series meaning it's only one season like it, it's it there's not going to be multiple so what i've heard is that obviously donald glover is going to come back and reprise his role but what could possibly happen is billy d williams also comes back uh to kind of like maybe wrap things up towards the end um that's kind of what i've heard and if that's not what i've heard maybe it's what i kind of want i think i think it'd be kind of cool if they did that for sure but I think the show that I'm most looking forward to, other than Obi-Wan Kenobi, because <laughs> is The Acolyte. Yes. I'm, oh my God. Because to me, it's, it, it's, I think they defined it as like a mystery thriller. Yeah. Um, which you, which I think you like said like right off the back that it's like Luke is going to really like, this one this is gonna be right yes I, because this is like getting into the darker star wars that you want um and we've talked about creating stuff like that and looking at things like that but the fact that it's happening um 
And, and oh, the it's going to be so good. The description that I've seen for it is that um, it's going to focus on kind of the, the rise of dark side powers at the end of the mm-hmm. High Republic era. So yes, we're going to see which is something very cool. from the High Republic era. It's not just going to be a literary period, mm-hmm. but we're going to yes. see something from it. And it's going to be focused on dark side. That's I cannot wait. This is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because here's the most interesting part about that is they're talking about the rise of the dark side and the cover and kind of the conceptual art that I've seen so far from it talks about a young Jedi experiencing these things. Um, And to see that take place is really cool because we have no idea what it's going to look like. And that is the best because again, the High Republic era is a different time period. Yeah. So, and I would like to get to, ready for new concepts and stuff like that. I would like to share this quote from uh, the Star Wars director for that series um, because it is exactly what I want to hear from a content, a Star Wars content creator, and that is, mm-hmm. um, oh, if I can pull it up. Oh my gosh, Wiki, why are you the worst? Um, okay, here it is, <laughs> and that is. I am the type of Star Wars fan that doesn't even have a favorite movie. I just want to live in the universe of Star Wars mm. continually, in perpetuity, forever. So when people are like, what's your favorite Star Wars movie? I'm like, there is no Star Wars movie. There is only Star Wars. And that's from Leslie Headland, mm. who is going to be the showrunner for uh, Acolyte. And it's going to be great. Yeah, uh, It's going to be super. I'm even excited for a droid story. Like I am. Like I'm even excited for that because I think that's that's gonna be fantastic, especially if it has to do with R two mm-hmm. and and, and not everything. Because and that's what and another thing that I want to say about kind of Star Wars and shows and stuff is that not everything has to be super dramatic like Mando is. Like if if uh, Joy Story is a bit more kind of fun going or like easy going, then that's great. That's what I want to see. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to conclude with this because it's the one that we're, we're most anticipating. They just flat out said Hayden Christensen's coming back for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And there's something so heartwarming about it because, like, both uh, Ewan and Hayden have said something along the lines of, like, the best thing about this series is that it's brought us back together, like, working mm-hmm. and stuff. Yes. And just the opportunities, because I've heard someone, I, 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 can ev- I can't ever remember who says these things, and I should probably write them down to give them the credit they deserve. But someone said that what could be the possibility is that we see how everything that has transpired is affecting Obi-Wan, but we're also seeing how those things affect Vader at the same time. So that's something we possibly can see. Um, and just the idea that, Hayden Christensen is not going to just show up on one episode, but he's going to be there throughout the entire show and throughout the entire series. Man, that's great. And while I'm, while it is a little bit like heavy for me to think about, we're just getting one season. I rather have one season than not have him at all. Yeah. And and we don't know exactly what, the story is going to look like maybe mm-hmm. it's there's always the possibility of more content or maybe we'll be satisfied yes. with this one season but mm-hmm. yeah 
Um, there's also another note I wanted to make, um, which we might, you might choose to edit out, and so we'll just include it uh, on another episode. But there's also another note that I wanted to make that uh, Ewan's response to getting to work with Hayden again, I think is really telling about how we all should view Hayden's work in the prequels. I know a lot of people give him hate for uh, especially Attack of the Clones, but I mm-hmm. think that I legitimately and honestly think that um, Hayden acted the character that he was meant to portray and that you can't mm-hmm. fault him for the awkward lines because he didn't, he didn't write those. That was not he his He didn't fault. write them at all. Nope. Um, but mm-hmm. if Ewan is like – Ewan who like everybody universally agrees like Obi-Wan is so good in the prequels. If Ewan McGregor, who plays him, is happy to see Hayden back, then nobody should be upset about it, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Also, you should probably go back and think about what things you've said about Hayden in the past. Um, because here's the thing. In Revenge of the Sith, no one else could have played Anakin Skywalker as well as Hayden did in episode three. He was fantastic to the T. He he was so good in that movie. And even in Attack of the Clones, my favorite scene is the Tusken Raider camp. When when you and then also when he's back at, at, in uh kind of where he's fixing things after the death of his mother. That scene is fantastic. Any time that... And the reason... That and Hayden, I, I'm 100% sure that we've said this before. But the reason why mm-hmm. that scene is uncomfortable is not because Hayden does a bad job of acting. The reason no, why that scene is no. uncomfortable is because he does it so well. Yes. Absolutely. Because he's mourning. He, he He's in mourning. He's upset. He's frustrated. And any time that those scenes aren't accounted for in... Attack of the Clones, yes, we could say the love story, and we've said this before. The love story is awkward. It's uncomfortable. We know this. But every other scene, so good. And we need to give him his props. So I'm, I'm excited to see him back. Um, and with that, we've concluded our time here on Season 2 of the Gazebo Effect podcast. What a season it's been. We've covered a lot of things. And so... Kind of give you a little like bit of a future, sneak peek. The yeah. future is not going to be easy on us as far as no. <laughs> what to look over. I think it's um, – I imagine it's still going to be a while before we get any of those shows, especially the ones that right. we just announced. Yes, for sure. But I mean, mean I'm going to be reading the High Republic. I'm going to be reading the High Republic content um, for sure. But next season, what we have to look forward to is that we're going to talk about – what could should be considered canon. We've talked about that episode before. That's what we're going to open up with. But then we're going to dive into the movies again. We're going to do a rewatch series where we're going to go through movie by movie and talk about, you know, their place in Star Wars and not necessarily disputing their place, but just talking about, you know, what should we think uh, and consider within these movies that are all created, that are canon. Right. And we'll talk more about that as we go along. And I think that's super important because in the past, although we went through like trilogy by trilogy, 
even that, like, we could do another series on the trilogies and, like, talk about mm-hmm. completely new things. But I think it's better for us yes. to go through episode by episode um, because that's going to give us kind of the, the most full picture of, like, where does this movie, where does this specific movie stand, like, in in the context of everything and by its own merits. And, yeah. Right. Absolutely. For sure. And we're not just doing the nine movies. We're also doing the anthology films. We're doing Solo and Rogue One. And probably after this, I'm probably going to watch Solo. Just just for the fun of it. I'll, always watch Solo. But anyway, for Luke Thorne, this is David Gonzalez here on the Gazebo Effect podcast. We are the Star Wars historians. And until season three, may the force be with you.